The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Galatians in chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 11. Galatians 6 and verse 11. Stand with me if you would for the reading of the Word of God. Week 16, and we're finishing up today. I hope that you've gotten something. Please tell me you've gotten something out of this Galatians people going to series. And I hope that you come out of this loving and savoring and cherishing the gospel more than ever. That's, that's the goal. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. That's like us getting on Facebook and writing in all caps. Listen up, people, right? He's screaming at this point, right? Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me, Paul says, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you thanking you again for the gospel. And I pray that that there's not a, a person in here that gets tired of hearing the message of the cross. Because the, the cross, I'm reminded again today, is not just a message for the unsaved in order to help them know you as Lord and Savior. No, the cross is important for us every day of our lives. There's not a moment that goes by that we don't need the message of the cross. There's not a moment that goes by, not a second that we don't need the gospel. So help us today as we close out this series that we would, like never before, savor your gospel, your good news. That we would... Cherish it, cling to it, and walk out its implications every day. Help us to hear what the Spirit would say today. Remove every distraction, we pray. This is vital stuff, and we want to receive it. I pray that you'd anoint this preacher, because without your anointing, I'm nothing. My words are empty. Help me, Lord, to preach your word. Help me to preach the truth and nothing but the truth. And help us to be doers of that word. Let us hear and do it, Father, in Jesus' name. And church folks said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you know my family and how much we absolutely love basketball, you'll understand how ecstatic we were several years ago when I received this invitation to attend a Denver Nuggets basketball game and sit on the second row next to the tunnel where the players make their way out. 
And I can still feel the rush of adrenaline when I think back to the moment as the game was getting ready to begin. And the players are, are moving from the locker room and they're, they're running out onto the court. High-fiving us. Come on, on the way out. That's a good seat right there. And so we, we always love the experience of seeing uh, live basketball. It's always a great experience, but this day was different. It was more incredible because at the end of the game, or towards the end of the game, one of the star players by the name of J.R. Smith, and I think he was actually being ejected for the game, uh, from the game, but he was making his way out, and he looks up, and he sees my son Dylan, and he stands there for a moment, and he takes off his jersey, and he hands it to him there at the Pepsi Center. Incredible. And it gets better. We go home and we put this uh, jersey in a shadow box and it's hanging on Dylan's wall. And my cell phone rings. And it's our good friends who hold season tickets. And he heard about this great gift that we received. This great blessing. And I thought he was going to ask for it since they were his tickets. But he didn't. So he, he said, listen. He said, I actually am calling you with a special invitation. I said, what could it be? What is it? And he said, the Denver Nuggets are actually renting out the Denver Aquarium. And we want to invite you and Dylan to come and to be a part, to eat and dine with all the Denver Nugget players and staff, coaches. They're playing ping pong. You can play a game of ping pong with them, pool, whatever. I'm not going to play basketball with them because I still want to feel like I'm decent at basketball. And so uh, we're not going to shoot around with them or anything like that. But he said, listen, he said, you go enjoy that. So we go and we get to be with J.R. Smith and Chauncey Billups and Chris Anderson and so many of the greats. And J.R. gets signs Dylan's jersey. That's an opportunity of a lifetime. Incredible. Well, in these last verses of Galatians, the Apostle Paul gives the believers in this Roman province of Galatia an incredible invitation, much greater than a basketball game. An invitation to cling to the real gospel. An invitation to be part of the kingdom. An invitation to have right standing with God based solely on Jesus Christ and His work at the cross. Ultimately, an invitation to be part of the real Notice my emphasis, the real Christian faith. And this is an invitation I pray each of us will take very seriously. Remember that false teachers have kind of infiltrated the churches in Galatia. They're dividing the church, trying to lead the new converts away from Christ. Away from the gospel. And these believers are now presented with two brands of Christianity which actually still exist today. You have the counterfeit religion of the false teachers that is a works-based salvation that says, I must earn my way to God. We call that legalism. And then you have the real gospel, which says, actually, I can never earn my way to God. And so that's why Jesus came. And my salvation, my justification, my right standing with God actually comes solely by grace through faith in Christ. And so in these final eight verses, we find kind of in summary fashion, the real essence of Christianity. So let me give you, here, here's how we're going to break this down. Two questions that we all need to ask. Two questions that get to the heart of our faith. Number one, first question, write this down. Is Christianity essentially, 
an outward experience or is it an inward transformation? Though external workings of love are really important, I don't want to downplay good works. Let me say this emphatically, that Christianity is essentially, ultimately, a spiritual issue of the heart. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Christianity essentially is an internal relationship with God. It's about being a new creation. So the false teachers were incredibly concerned, way too concerned with the external show, but not so much about the inward heart. And here's the first way that they were concerned with the external. They were really bent towards this law of circumcision, which just says they have so many issues. All right, we could go in so many directions with this, but I won't. And uh, verse 12, look at this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. What in the world is he talking about here? See, God gave circumcision in the Old Testament to Abraham as a sign of his covenant. But in and of itself, circumcision is nothing. Yet these false teachers, these legalists, have elevated this ordinance into something it was never meant to be. And they are insisting that to be saved, a man must be circumcised. Let me ask you, how could an outward operation secure your salvation? It's ludicrous. Yet as John Stott points out, think about this, many people today make the same mistake with water baptism. Teaching that it is a part of regeneration. Now, listen to me, we've got two water baptisms at the end of service, and they're very important. But they're not the means of salvation. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this, what's going to happen later, is a demonstration of that glorious truth that's already happened in their life. We've got to be careful with this as well. God gave circumcision to Abraham as a sign of His covenant with Israel. And now He has given the church water baptism as a sign of His covenant and a seal of His covenant with us. He's he's given that to us. It's a sign. So we've got to be careful that we don't make it more than it is. Look at verse 15. Paul brings some clarity to what I'm saying. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But watch this, and I'll deal with this in just a second. But a new creation. If if you in the Old Testament, if you were circumcised, but if, if, if you are not a lover of God... It's meaningless. Remember, Jesus said, you know, on the outside, He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They looked really good on the outside, really pious, really religious. But on the inside, full of deadness, hearts far from the Lord. The same thing goes kind of for baptism. If you have not repented, if you have not believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what you do? The water is real nice today, but there's better places to swim. Because all you're doing, if you do not have repentant faith, if you are not that new creation, you're being dunked and you're going down a dry center and coming up a wet center. That's That's the only difference. Baptism doesn't save you. Circumcision doesn't save you. We're saved, justified, made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there's something else. Something else that the Judaizers, these false teachers were after. And this is something we really struggle with today. They were not after the applause of God. 
They were after the applause of men. And this is one of the reasons they were forcing men to be circumcised. Look at verse 12b. Talking here why they're having people circumcised. He says, here's why they do it. In order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want anybody mad at them. Isn't it crazy how many things we do so we won't hurt somebody's feelings or get them upset with us? Oh, I wish we'd be much more concerned about the applause of God. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised, and this is, this, I love this, even those who are circumcised, which is part of the, the ceremonial law, they do not themselves keep the law. Now legalists, here, here's, here's, you've got to almost laugh. This hit me just a little while ago. Every legalist I know in our country are happy gluttons. They have no issue with overeating, but they want to judge everything else for things that the Bible doesn't tell us to judge people for. So we'll tighten the law, but no legalist is perfect themselves. So we've got to be careful. So Paul is saying, listen, you're listening to them. They're telling you to be circumcised. They're not keeping the whole law. The false teachers, here's the issue. They don't want to be persecuted because of the cross. Now don't miss this. I, I, I hope you leave today valuing the cross more than ever. You say to me, well, why would they be persecuted because of the cross? Well, the cross is offensive. He said, well, why is it offensive? I mean, isn't the cross, we have songs about it. It's beautiful. It's where our salvation was purchased. Yeah, it's beautiful to the believer. But you know why it's offensive to legalists? Because it says that the most wretched of us get there the same way, get to God the same way that they do. They can't stand that. You mean after I've been so nice and kind and loving my whole life and this person off the street just gets to waltz in here and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and everything's good now. They can't stand it. They hate it because they're on their moral high horse. Here's what the cross says. You ready for this? This ought to make you shout this morning. It says that the drug addict gets to God the same way as the deacon. Come on somebody. It says the prostitute gets there the same way as the preacher. It says that the gambler gets there the same way as the goody two-shoes. You meet one this week, just remind them that, that they get to God the same way that we do. The cross says, here's what it says, that we all deserve death, hell in the grave, that none of us can save ourselves. Moral, righteous, self-righteous people don't like that because they like to think of themselves as good and better than other people. But the cross levels the playing field. It says we're all wretched, that none of us can get to God by ourselves. The cross levels the playing field. It means that none of us can get to Him apart from Jesus. And that's really offensive to self-righteous legalists. And these false teachers know that. So they want to put the Galatians under law-based Christianity so they can look good before other men. When they go back to Jerusalem and they go, listen, we had those guys circumcised. They're back under the law. It's all good. Don't worry, we didn't tell them Jesus was good enough. So this makes them feel more spiritual, more accepted. And I find this interesting that they didn't keep the law themselves. Because no human being can. So if that's your means to get to God, you're going to be highly disappointed because you can't do it. Yep. It's vital for the Galatians to understand that those who are preaching this false gospel, this law-based gospel, don't even perfectly keep it themselves. We can fool people for a while, but you hang around a legalist long enough and you'll see they're as wretched as any person on the street. 
There was a story. It was in, whose book was this? Chuck Swindoll. In his book, Growing Deep in the Christian Life, he tells this true story that, that happened in Long Beach, California years ago when a man went to pick up some fried chicken for himself and his date. I heard an amen right there. Uh, some fried chicken for himself and his date one late afternoon. And instead of giving him a bag of chicken, instead, he was handed inadvertently by the cashier a bag full of about $800 of cash from some of the date's proceeds that was supposed to go to the bank. So the man takes his date and they drive a town away and they get to a picnic location. And they go out to have a romantic dinner. And they pull out what they thought was chicken and to their surprise, what did they find? $800. And you would think that they would just celebrate and run away. Not that $800 can get you far these days. But, but, but instead, you know what they did? They're different than most people. They put the money back in the bag. They got in their car. They drove back to this other town. And they walk in the store to return the money. The man became an instant hero. The manager came out. By this time he recognized what had happened. He was freaking out. Beside himself. And the man said, I've got the money that was inadvertently given to me. And the man says, behind the counter, he says, listen, this manager, he says, he says you're a hero. There's not many people like you today. He said, you and, and your wife or your girlfriend, your significant other. He said, I'm calling the paper right now. We're going to get you plastered on the front page. Because there's not many people like you in the world. He said, you're the most honest person I know. Your name's going to be everywhere. And the guy says, please don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And the guy just looks at him. He says, please don't call the papers. And he leans a little closer to the guy across the counter. And he says, this is not my wife. It's somebody else's. True story. See, we can fool people for a while. But don't lie. You have your issues too. We've all, touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, we all have issues. That's one of the things I love about real life community church. We can talk about those things. Like, yeah, we've got issues, all right? And I don't mean that we're flippant towards sin. We're not. Sin is sin and it's serious business. But from time to time we all struggle. If we didn't, we wouldn't need the cross. We all need the cross. For neither circumcision counts for anything, verse 15, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Bible reading, important. Church attendance, vital. Prayer, very important. But it doesn't save you. If you're not a new creation, you don't know God and you don't get God in the end. So is Christianity essentially an outward sign or outward act? Is it us just learning to obey and behave better? No. What is it? It's an inward transformation that overflows into good works. How does that happen? One way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 quoted it earlier. Therefore, if anyone is what? Then he is a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do you... You can't make yourself a new creation. You can't buy the self-help books and, and become a new creation. You can't get more degrees and, and become a new creation. It comes one way. By Christ. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. So is Christianity essentially outward or inward? Emphatically I say it's an inward. A lot of people are religious. But remember Jesus said to me on that day many will come to me and say Lord, Lord. And He'll say to turn from me you doer of iniquity. 
watch what he says. I never knew you. Christianity isn't about doing essentially. Those things are important. But it's about being. It's about knowing God. It's not about religion ultimately. Second question. Is Christianity based upon human or divine workings? In other words, is our faith ultimately about what I do for God? Or is it about what God in Christ has done for me? The false teachers were counting on the flesh. They were boasting in the flesh. And their own accomplishment and their own ability to achieve and their own morality. What they could do for God. And here's the implication with circumcision. It goes way beyond that surgery. Circumcision was the beginning of a lifelong commitment. It was kind of the inauguration into a law-based life. That's why I'm telling you, don't flirt with legalism because you'll find yourself with the weight of the law right back on your shoulders. Acts 15.5 Acts 15.5 says this, Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, these were these Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews, they rose up and they said, It is necessary to circumcise them. Circumcise them. Now watch what he says. And to order them to keep the law of Moses. That's why you don't flirt with somebody who's trying to get you to go back in this boat of legalism. It's not the same faith and it's a long and hard and frustrating and counterfeit road. These false teachers ultimately believe that the work of Christ is insufficient. If we get to God by the law or by our own works, Christianity is absolutely no different than any other religion. Every other religion says, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you can get to God, or then you can find inner peace, or whatever it is. Every other religion assumes that deep down inside of us, there's a really good person. You just have to connect with that person. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that we're more wretched than we ever thought possible. But we're more loved in Christ than we ever could imagine. So it says this, unlike the other, you know, this is why people get mad about Christianity. Because they don't want to hear that they're wretched. So I sat back with Charity and her, her son Levi, nine years old, uh, shared the gospel with him last week. And he, he prayed and, and, and just believed upon Christ in the real gospel this last Sunday. He's going to be baptized today. It's awesome. I had to explain to him that, Levi, I know you're a good kid. You, you, you think that you're really good. And I said, I'm sure you obey your mom all the time, right? And he looked up and she was sitting there, so he, he kind of shook his head like he's not going to lie, you know. And, and so I said, Levi, I want you to say this. You're going to think I'm crazy for this, but this is important. I'm more wretched than I ever thought possible. I, I use a different word. I don't remember what it was, but evil maybe. He thought, well, we're not supposed to tell kids that. That's what's wrong with them. You're telling them when they're disobeying and they're rebellious and they have no heart for to obey or God or anything else. You're a really good kid. No, you're not. No, you're not. Like you, I, I'm surprised you don't have horns yet. Like, let's be honest. Now, now, listen. We don't go around beating our kids up. I'm not saying that. Yeah, we support them in what they're doing. We're encouraging to them. But here's the problem: when we don't let kids know that we all are sinners, they'll never. If they don't think that, they'll never see their need for a savior. And here's what's interesting: Levi had talked to some other people before in, in other churches, but he didn't have a grasp on this part. And you don't see it. The legalists, the problem with the Pharisees, they didn't see their need for Jesus because they didn't see their own sin. They didn't see their need for a Savior. I've told you this before. That's why I love 
the ministry I do in prisons because I don't have to convince those people that they're sinners. But religious folk drive me crazy because they think they're better. They think somehow, yeah, I believe Jesus died, but, but I'm, I'm pretty good too, right? No. If you think that, you know about the grace of God. You don't see your need. He came for no purpose. If some of us could get to God, then He wouldn't have come. But He realized none of us can get to Him. It's not possible because of our fallen nature. So the, the other part that I told Levi, and he started to smile. He quit crying and smiled for now. I said, listen, here's what I want you to know, Levi. Though you've sinned, and we talked about what sin was. And though you've broken your mom's heart before and you've broken God's heart just like your pastor sitting in front of you right here who, who's devastated my parents before and devastated my God I want you to know that that God sent Jesus in your place so you can know him and have right standing with him you just see him light up he got it by the end of this he got it didn't he because I didn't want to baptize him without him understanding this and so I think we need a better understanding of that to remember that the best of us the most moral of us listen we all need the cross so the, the Pharisees, the legalists, the, the Judaizers, they didn't think Christ's work was sufficient. It's grace plus works, and those things do not mix. Now here's what Paul says in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now listen, if anybody could boast in their own flesh, it would have been Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he was a real deal. Part of Israel, the nation. He was very religious. He wasn't perfect. He couldn't perfectly keep the law. But he did a pretty good job at it. I mean, he was a legalist. He was by the book. And he realized after his Damascus Road experience, he realized when he met Christ and the God began to teach him by the Holy Spirit, he realized that none of that stuff, all of it mattered, that all of it is as rubbish and all my religiosity, all of my own righteousness is as a filthy rags that I can't get to God by a righteousness of my own. And that burden became lifted from him. So Paul has a chip on his shoulder right now because he knows what it is to live under that burden. And I've got the same chip on my shoulder this morning. I'm sick of hearing legalistic preaching. Putting burdens on people that Christ delivered us from. We need to move in the gospel freedom. And Paul says, listen, I can't boast in my own morality. I'm not going to walk and uh, you know, strut my stuff around like I'm somebody. Thinking because I grew up like this or I was on my way to be a rabbi. Or because I have these degrees and, 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 and that I know doctrines better than so and so. That means nothing. What I boast in, the only thing that I boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, that's the only thing I can cling to. That's it. If anybody could boast in the flesh, it would have been Paul. But no, he just clings to Jesus. You and I need to cling to the cross. See, the real gospel calls us to count on Christ, not on our own morality. It calls us to count on Christ and His finished work at Calvary. To Paul, the cross is not something to be ashamed of. He boldly preached it. His former colleagues were against it, but Paul would not lighten the message at all. His former friends who were really legalistic, really moral, he would say, none of this matters. You need Jesus. You need the cross. And he was hated because of it. Persecuted. Snake-bitten. Shipwrecked. Devil was after him. People were after him. 
imprisoned, stoned, left for dead, abandoned, you name it, it happened to him. And he gladly bore the marks of Jesus on his body in heavy persecution and suffering because the cross was everything to him. He knew this branch of Christianity that says it's false, that says I can do it on my own. He knows it's false. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made Him, talking about Christ, to be sin. It doesn't mean that He did sin. He bore the burden of the sin, the penalty of the sin. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul clings to this truth. And he walks in it every day. And I want to challenge you today, church. I know that you knew this when you got saved, but I, wanna, I want you to relish in it every day that when the world is against you, when legalists are against you, you just stand up and say, I don't need the applause of men anyway. I've got the applause of the mighty God who gave it all for me that I might have a relationship with Him. If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, it's interesting. We cannot boast in the cross and the flesh simultaneously. We can't do it. If you think you're saved in any part by your moral achievements, or because you dress a certain way, or because you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, whatever it might be, if that's how you think you get right standing with God, listen, you're mistaken and you're not resting in Christ's finished work. Law and grace don't mix. To quote commentator John Stott one more time, he says, only if we've humbled ourselves, listen to this, only if we have humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners. This isn't the positive affirmation that our nation's about today, is it? Only when we humble ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting in ourselves. Fly to the cross for our salvation. And, and don't miss this. Spend the rest of our days glorying in the cross. Just enjoying it. Relishing in it. Enjoying the rest that we have in Christ. So Christians... Christianity is essentially an inward matter of the heart. And that inward transformation will overflow into good works. And Christianity is based on the divine work of God and not on human effort. That's Christianity. In closing, I'll give you one more scripture. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is speaking to Israel. And he urges them to accept God's covenant. And to walk in that covenant relationship with you. Moses, being the leader of this people, he has this great opportunity for his people. And he said, listen, don't pass this up. Enter into this covenant relationship with God. And I love how this is worded. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring live. This is my plea with you today. This is an option like I'm saying, okay, you know what? If you want to bear the legalistic route, that, that, the weight of that, and you want to choose this, go ahead. It'll get you to God. Or if you want the grace, you know, whichever. No. Friends, it's life. The gospel, justified by grace through faith in Christ. Gospel, I cling to Jesus every way, every day and end in every way. And depend on His finished work for every part of my life. That's life or the road of death. Where I have to be good enough. And Galatians says if that's the road you choose, you nullify the work of Jesus. 
There's not a human being that's ever lived that can perfectly keep the law. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever walked this earth that perfectly kept the law. Why would you want that burden? And I know some of you grew up just steeped in that legalistic kind of a household. And grace, again, I can't say this enough. It's not do whatever you want. No. It's rest in Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to want to obey Him. When you're a new creation, your heart becomes bent towards God. So are you today following the world's religion that says, do better, do better, do better? Or are you clinging to Christ going, I can't make it on my own. I need you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.